Good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. We may come close today to breaking our post-pandemic attendance record. I was trying to count, and it was it's awfully close. We'll be within uh, two or three if we don't pass it. So thank you for being here. If you're visiting, we're glad you're here. We hope you'll come back, continue to come back. I don't think you'll find a group of people, small though we may be in some ways, who don't have bigger hearts love for God and love for each other. So if that sounds like the group of people you want to be associated with, then your search is over. So I really want to encourage each one of you to come back whenever you can. Uh, I have been fighting off a cold all week, so I've got a cough drop on one side of my mouth and an open bottle of water. And so I don't know exactly how all three of these, me, the cough drop, and the water are going to work out this morning, but I'm trying to be a Boy Scout and be prepared. I never can quite tell. This morning, I want to talk about baptism. I framed it as six questions about baptism. Well, one of the important things I want to make sure we say right up front is there's an old principle among churches of Christ, and we follow it here, which is we do our best simply to speak where the Bible speaks. And we want to do what the Bible says to do. You may remember a sermon that we did, a study we had last year on worship. And the approach I tried to take with that is simply to say, here's what the Bible says, and that's what we do here. You can get very complicated. People can make all sorts of inferences. A implies B, which implies C, and they spend all their time over there on C. I'm much more concerned with what the Bible says directly. And that is my goal today, whether I will achieve it or not. Who knows, right? I'll do my best. I just want to look at what the Bible says about baptism. We took the same approach then. We're going to consider the baptism using six questions. I learned these when I was doing journalism in high school. A new story should answer what, where, when, how, why, and who. And so we're going to look, when we get to it, with those six questions looking at the topic of baptism from the Bible. I want to start off, first of all, with what does the Bible say about becoming a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a member of God's family? Well, first of all, I think we always need to start with one of the most important verses in the entire Bible, the entire New Testament, John 3, 16. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not die, but have eternal life. I mean, without that statement, then we really have no hope at all. No hope whatsoever. But God loved the world. That's everybody. Not just the people who are good today, and excluding the people who were bad today or whatever. God loved the world, everything so much that he gave his only son to die so that you and I might be able to live if we believe in him. And then in John 20, verse 31, said, the context of this statement is there's many, many other things that Jesus did that aren't recorded in the Gospel of John. John is filling in some gaps, talking about things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke did not record. And at the end, John says, look, there's so many more things Jesus did. The world itself might not be able to hold everything, but these things are written here in the Gospel of John that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So if you're trying to look at the question, how do I become a Christian? Step one really needs to be to believe in Jesus, to understand that he's the Son of God, to understand that he came to save me from consequences of my own choices. My own choices 
things that I decided to do have separated me from God. And without God sending his son, there was no hope for me because that gap that I created between God and myself on my own, there's no way I could ever bridge that gap. The only hope any of us have is in the free gift that God sent through his son, Jesus Christ. You have to believe that we're sinners. Jesus Christ is the son of God. So the next question, is that all? You know, does it stop there, right? How do I become a Christian? I certainly need to believe in Jesus. I need to understand who he was, what he did, and why it's important to me and what I did, requiring his life and death. We'll take another look. Acts 3, verse 19. Peter had been speaking to a group of Jewish people near the temple, and he tells them, Repent then and turn to God so that he will forgive your sins. In addition to, as it were, believing that Jesus is the Christ, understanding what Jesus did for me, that belief needs to generate a change in how I live my life. We were dead when we were living in sin, living for ourselves, and we created this problem we could not fix. It happens because of our own actions and choices. This morning in class, Thor put up a, a passage from the book of James talking about how each one of us is enticed by our own desire and we commit sin by chasing after things we want and not what God wants. God sent his son to live and die so we wouldn't have to pay the price for our own choices and that price is death. Wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is life, eternal life. But God demands, God requires that we turn our lives around to him. The word repent is a military term. It's about face. Turn around. This uh, translation here from Acts 319. Repent, I like that, about face and turn to God. We have to live for God instead of living for ourselves. So step one, we talked about on the last slide, believe in Jesus, understand who he was, what he did, and what I had done required him to come and live and die for me. But step two really needs to be to repent. Now, that doesn't mean you no longer make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you don't give in to lures and enticements and sin. Everybody in this room, follower of Jesus, still does things that are wrong. We are focusing our life on living for God. It becomes over time, very hopefully, the exception when we make mistakes. We recognize those mistakes and we repent, we ask for forgiveness, and we keep turning back to God. It's a difference up here in terms of what repentance really means. Believe, repent, is that all? Well, I think there probably needs to be some sort of a step three, another thing we have to do. The Bible says, again, remember we're looking at what the Bible says, and that is that we need to confess, we need to vocalize, at least in front of God and other people, that Jesus is the Son of God, saying out loud that he is Lord, confessing that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. When you look at Acts 8, 37, this is where the Ethiopian, the black man in Acts chapter 8, is being taught by Philip, an evangelist, and in being taught about that, before he is baptized, this man makes the statement, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is the confession I ask everyone to repeat after me before I assist in their becoming a member of God's family by baptizing. 
Why? That's what they did here in Acts 8. That's what we want to do. We want to do what the Bible says and focus on what the Bible says. Romans 10, 9 and 10, Paul writing to the Romans said, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So the next question, is there anything else? I need to believe, I need to understand the problem I created and God's solution to my problem that I could not solve on my own. I need to understand I gotta change my life with living for myself and live for God. And before I become a member of his family, I need to be able to say to the world, to people around me, friends and family, before God, that yes, I in fact do believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the one God sent to live and die for me. Well, what does the Bible say about baptism in all of this? Well, let's take a look at that. Let's spend a little bit of time in 1 Peter chapter 1. This is what had been read earlier, how we read this verse. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. As Peter's getting started in the book of 1 Peter, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, he has caused us, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He begins by saying blessed. In this case, it really is the idea of worthy. The God and Father of Jesus Christ is worthy of any and all praise that we could possibly put in there for him. Why is he worthy? Because of what he has done, who he is. He's worthy of praise, honor, and glory. Why? Because when you look at this, he, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. A living hope. In part because of his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but born again is kind of an odd sounding phrase. It first occurs in John 3 as Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. He says this to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus doesn't seem to understand what he's talking about either. Jesus here speaking says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus' response is, I'm, I'm old. How on earth am I going to somehow be born physically through my mother again after all this time? He says, that makes no sense. And it might not make sense other than the fact Jesus continues explaining the rest of the Bible builds it in. Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless you were born of water and of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Without being born again, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. Notice the connection to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He, God, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Being born of water and the Spirit, being born again, is something that God does by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So being born again does involve the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Being born again involves, kind of by definition, a new birth, a birth again after our first birth that we all somehow managed to get through. Well, let's talk a little bit about baptism. Remember we talked about believing, repenting, and about faith, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the reason for any hope that we might have. 
how does baptism fit into this? What does the Bible say about baptism? Let's use these six questions. What, where, when, how, why, and who. And let's just see what the Bible says. Remember, I really like that as our guiding principle. And I find all sorts of people on the internet, all sorts of scholars and books that will say this or this or this about how somebody becomes a member of God's family, how somebody becomes a Christian. Sure I can. I'm much more concerned not with what Gene says in the conclusion or what Thurl might say or somebody else writing a book. I want to know what the Bible says because the Bible comes from God. And whatever's recorded in the Bible, he wants us to know about. So let's take a look. First of all, what is baptism? What is baptism? It's a barrier. It's a barrier. When you look at Romans 6, 3, and 4, Paul's here writing to the Romans. He says, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ, just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So when someone is baptized, it's in essence reenacting Jesus dying and by the power of God, Jesus being raised from the dead. We don't physically die when we are buried with Jesus in baptism, but our old self is supposed to die. Our old way of living is supposed to remain behind, as it were, buried under the water, and then a new person is supposed to come up. That's the whole idea of a death and a new birth, a new me coming up out of the water. Someone focused on trying their best to live for God instead of living for themselves. It does involve water. In Acts chapter 10, after Peter has spoken to Cornelius and he's reciting what happened in presenting the gospel for the first time to uh, formal Gentiles that everybody would recognize as Gentiles here in Acts chapter 10, he says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? How can you possibly not baptize these people? I don't care, he respectively is saying, that they're Gentiles, but you can't possibly keep water away from baptizing these people given all the happening. So this new birth involves water and involves baptism because that's what he's talking about. So baptism is a barrier and it involves water. Next question, where can you be baptized? Or really anywhere. It doesn't have to be a church building. I've seen baptisms in swimming pools, a river in Africa. They will take many times a hole, fill it with water that collects rainwater. And boy, you think about some water that doesn't look very nice, <laughs> but it's water anyway. Wherever there's water, look back again in Acts 8. This is Philip talking again with the Ethiopian. And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, a passage from the book of Isaiah, he told him the good news about Jesus. So he's, he's essentially preaching to them and teaching them as they're in their chariot going along the road. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch, the Ethiopian, said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Teaching the good news about Jesus involves teaching about people being baptized. There's no indication there's any other way for this Ethiopian man to have known anything about baptism, much less that it required water, except connecting the dots between 
not understanding what he was reading in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, and Philip teaching him about Jesus. Teaching about Jesus in Acts 8 involved teaching so that the Ethiopian understood about baptism. Where was he baptized? When he saw some water. Hey, here's some water. What's keeping me from doing what you've been telling me I need to do? And Philip's answer is essentially nothing. Nothing. When can you be baptized? So what is baptism? It's a burial. It involves water. Where can you be baptized? Essentially anywhere there's water, right? When can you be baptized? Well, again, in Acts 8, in response to the eunuchs, the Ethiopians' question of what's stopping me from being baptized, Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. If you believe that first step, if you understand who Jesus was and what he did, then yes, you can be baptized. Mark 16, 16, Jesus here speaking says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. You know, if you have to believe and then you can't be baptized, if you don't believe, then you're just getting wet. It's not going to do anything for you. I mean, you can't save the world involving baptism if you got a giant fire hose somehow or had a huge pool emptying over everybody's head that was 10 feet deep all over the place. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Jesus said whoever believes and is baptized. When can you be baptized? When you believe, when you understand your separation from God. I really need to understand the hole I dug for myself by doing what I wanted to do and understanding God has a way for me to get out of the hole. And it's, 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 it's as if it was the, the rope let down from heaven. That rope's name is Jesus. That's not a biblical illustration. I'm just making that one up. But Jesus is that rope, the only hope we have to get out of the hole that we put ourselves in. And the fact of believing is essentially grabbing hold of the rope, letting Jesus pull us out of the hole we dug for ourselves. But I have to understand that. Now, here's the thing. That will happen. That ability to understand will happen somewhere between when someone is three months old and 30 years old for most people. I would in no way think that a three-month-old, a four-month-old, a five-month-old can understand who Jesus was. They barely understand Dada, right? So there's a whole lot still of growing that needs to happen at three months old. But by the time somebody's 30, most of the time somebody at that age has enough in mental awareness and reasoning power that they can understand, I do things that are bad. One part of that's our conscience when it tells us Shouldn't have done that. I'm going to ask for a show of hands this time. Anybody this week done something that you think, I oh, really wish I hadn't done that? Okay, and if you're not raising your hand, great. Try to do it again this week. But I raised my hand because I did something and my conscience said, bad choice, Gene. Well, depending on what that was, that could have been a sin. Eating the last cookie might have been a sin if I'd eaten 100 cookies before that, right? That's called gluttony. But if I just ate an extra cookie and I'm trying to diet, that's not something I would call sinful. But I, I, my head told me that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. That's what we're talking about, an awareness of my sin, my separation from God because I've been living the way I want to live. Where exactly does that happen? 
There's a fancy term people use. It's not found in the Bible, so I don't really like it. An age of accountability. I know most of us have probably heard that. At some point, and it varies for the individual, we all become aware of, hey, I've been doing some things that are wrong, and from what I learned from God's Word, the Bible, that means I've separated myself from God. I need help. That's what we're talking about. When can someone be baptized? When they're aware enough of their own situation to realize, I need help. What can I do? What can I do? Next question. How is one baptized? Well, the Greek word that shows up in the Bible as baptism is one of those lovely words that was simply written down in English letters and was not translated in the Bible. When the King James did this in 1600, rather than translating the word, they left it alone. The word originally means immerse, plunge, or dip. And it was not a theological word in the first century. If you were going to dye some clothing, you know, we do tie-dye stuff or whatever sometimes. But if you were going to take something that was relatively white and make it orange or green or something, you would immerse it in the water so that the dye could get everywhere. They would have used the word baptizo. It was a normal word. It meant plunge, dip, or immerse. That's all it meant. And whenever you see the word baptism, it means plunge, dip, or immerse. There's a different word in the New Testament for pouring or sprinkling. And it's never used in any situation where it's talking about somebody becoming a member of God's family. It's always plunge, dip, or immerse. Now I want to make an illustration. For one thing, I'm getting kind of hungry. And I like this illustration. But I want to make some, maybe you'll help remember this. When we had a baptism here recently, I used this in talking with the individual before we did it. So here it is. Now, everybody here should know what that is. That's an Oreo. I love Oreos. I really do. And what an interesting way this is to dip an Oreo in milk. And put a fork in the filling. I'd never thought of that. But that's not the point of the picture. If you're going to baptize an oil, let's say, according to the definition, what do you do with the milk? You take the Oreo and you plunge it, you dip it, or you immerse it. Okay? Now, what's the reverse? I hold the Oreo in my hand, and I really thought about doing this, but we'd have to put out a sheet. Take the Oreo in my hand, put my fingers in the milk, and go... If I did that, would I have plunged, dipped, or immersed the Oreo in the milk? No. We got all sorts of problems today because some translators in the past decided, hey, we're not going to translate that word. We're going to leave it where it's kind of hard to tell what it is. But I want you to think of the Oreo. How somebody is baptized needs to be plunged, dipped, or immersed under the water. We're leading up to what each little piece of this coming from what the Bible says about baptism. Yes, I really do like Oreos. Cookies in general. How about that? All right, let's keep going. Consider the baptism in Acts 8 of the Ethiopian. We talked about him a few times. How is one baptized? Philip explained the gospel to him. And then as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch, the Ethiopian, said, see, here's water. What's stopping me? What's hindering me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. 
And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. He plunged, he dipped, he immersed them. Now, if sprinkling or pouring is what was really intended here, that could have been done by taking the canteen or the water jug or something in there. And as they were driving, just there was no need to wait until you got to some water. Because they, they weren't traveling that long distance in the desert, I'm assuming, but I bet they had some water in the chariot of some kind. Right? But they waited until they got to where there's water. Why can't I do it? The eunuch says essentially, now. Philip says, if you believe, you can. He says, I believe. And they go down into the water and he plunges, he dips, he immerses. There's another question. Why is one baptized? Well, Jesus said to me, I mean, that's good enough for me. In Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Jesus said, why not do it? Do I need a thousand page commentary of all the different scenarios and stuff about it? Why can't I just look and say, Jesus said it, just do it. Really true, good enough for me. Peter told people on Pentecost in Acts chapter two, who understood that their own choices had led to the death of Jesus. And by the way, my choices led to the death of Jesus. Every bit as responsible for Jesus dying on the cross as they were nearly 2,000 years ago. Every one of us who has chosen to do what we want to do, knowing it's not what God wants us to do, we are all responsible, just as these people were. And when they came to recognize, what have we done? They then asked, what can we do? The people say, men and brothers, what can we do? Is there any hope for us, given what we have done led to the death of Jesus? Look what Peter tells us in Acts 2.38. Each one of you must turn away from your sins and be baptized, plunged, dipped, or immersed in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven. When the Apostle Paul was waiting to be told what to do after he had seen Jesus on the road to Damascus, he already knew Jesus was real. He already knew Jesus had to be the Son of God. I mean, people don't just have light shining on them from out of the sky and just blinding them for days. He understood he'd been wrong persecuting the church and talking bad about the name of Jesus. He was waiting to be told what to do. He'd been praying for days. He'd been, what do I do? What do I do? Here's what he was told. Acts 22, 16. Now, why do you wait? What are you waiting for? Rise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. He's told to be plunged, dipped, or immersed, and that would make him a follower of Jesus by having his sins forgiven. Now, let's say real quickly to the side here, there's no magic in the water. There's no magical properties in water that somebody is dipped under. I mean, remember, some of the water I've seen in Africa in this hole in the ground doesn't look very magical at all. It looks more like a mud hole. But it's good enough. It's got water in it. There's no magic in the water. You're simply saying what God said to do. You remember 1 Peter 1 3? According to His, God's great mercy, God caused us to be born again. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You may be baptized, you may be plunged, dipped, or immersed, but God's doing it all. 
God's the one who is making you a member of his family. God is the one who is forgiving, washing away your sins. There's nothing magical in the water, and it's really not something you're doing to earn anything. God does it, according to 1 Peter chapter 1. Another reason for why one of us should be baptized, Galatians 3, 26, 27. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. I need to believe. I need to understand what's going on. And I'm, I'm a son of God through my faith. Well, it continues. Look what he says next. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, plunged, dipped, or immersed, right, have put on Christ. When we are buried with Jesus, it's as if Jesus surrounds us at that point. The Spirit of God will enter into our lives and our bodies and our souls will be part of God's family at that moment. When we are baptized, we become sons of God through our faith. You've got to have faith or else you're just getting wet. So that's not what we're talking about. God is the one who forgives. God is the one who does the work. Dying for a whole life, being raised along with his person. Members of his family. Here's the important piece of that forgiven. For the first time in our lives at that moment, rather than being in a hole we dug for ourselves without any way to get out, we're out of the hole. God has raised us up from those waters where we died to be a new person. Now, here's other questions people often ask. Let's talk about some of these. How do I know my baptism worked or that it took? Or it was good enough or that I don't need to do it again and again well I would ask this question did you know that you were a sinner if somebody took a six-month-old and in a swimming pool and said hey they're baptized and say did the child six months old know they were a sinner probably not I mean Einstein plus probably would not have known it at six months old did you understand when you were baptized what Jesus did for you that you couldn't do for yourself were you immersed, dipped, or plunged? That's what baptism is. I ask those questions. If those questions are true, if I knew that I was a sinner, if I knew that I had been in such a horrible situation, I couldn't get out, that Jesus did what he did, and I was immersed. Did your baptism work? You did what God said to do. Period. It worked. You don't need to be baptized every other week hoping that one of them is going to take but I really didn't understand all these things you talked about this morning, Gene. I just knew that God wanted me to do it. Was that okay? The confession made at baptism is, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If you understood that according to the Bible, that's all anyone has ever asked before they are baptized. There are all sorts of reasons. The Bible says all sorts of things about baptism and what baptism does. Never. Is anyone asked, can you tell me the 16 different things baptism will do for you? Got to make sure you understand all 16. No. The only thing that's ever asked before somebody's baptized in the Bible, and that's what we're trying to speak about, is if you believe with all your heart, you may. The person says, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. By saying that, they're saying, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus came and lived and died for me. We're going to do this because God has said it to God's going to be the one to forgive the sins of anybody. What about people who are sprinkled? Well, I really don't know the answer to that. 
we don't because the Bible doesn't say anything about that. What the Bible says is that the word is to be dipped, plunged, or immersed. That's what we do here. I run into someone and I find that they had been sprinkled. I, at some point, I really try my best to bring up what the Bible says about it, but I that's that's not my question. I, I can't answer that question. We do what the Bible says to do. That's what we try to do here at Convincingly Avenue. If we find we're doing something the Bible says not to do, we're doing it, we try to change and be as close to the Bible as we can. Why does God want me to do this anyway? It seems so odd to be thrown under some water. What's the point? Why does he want me to do it? I really don't know the answer to that either. But I really suspect when I have thought about it, that that illustration of being buried with Jesus and being raised to live and walk as a new person is really an important thing. Whenever I think of having been baptized, plunged, dipped, or immersed, I should really remember that I'm supposed to have left that old gene there, dead in the ground, as it were, under the water. And I'm not supposed to be that person anymore. I should be a new person. How can I live the way I used to? I think that's the reason. More than anything else we could do by being whoosh. And unfortunately, pull back. The illustration in my mind of burial comes straight to mind. Basically, why does God want me to do it? He said to do it. He said it. Here's the last question. Who should be baptized? You. You should be baptized if you're aware of your sinful situation. If you understand that your own choices, just like my choices, Separated you from God the way my choices separated me from God in the past. If you understand that Jesus came to live and die for you. These next three verses are things Jesus said. John 8, 24. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you will die in your sins. Luke 13, 3. Unless you repent, unless you about face, unless you stop living the way you have been and you start living for God, you will all likewise perish. And then Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So where are each of us on this journey today? We're all somewhere, right? Where am I? Where are you? Jesus said these things. My final plea today is just to he said, just do it. Do it today as we stand and sing.